on this episode of Quantum Week, July 22nd through 28, 1990. Quantum Week. Quantum Week. Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year, and we talk about movies, we talk about music, we talk about headlines, everything that's happening during that time period uh, that makes it unique and cool. That's correct. Uh, and uh, today we are covering uh, the movie Presumed Innocent. Right. With Harrison Ford. Yes. Uh, this is, uh, so we are going to talk, I'm going to say rough top, we are going to talk spoilers. Uh, if you haven't seen this, I think this movie is good. We'll talk obviously more about it. I liked it. Um, so if you haven't seen it, maybe go check it out. You can always, you know, uh, press stop and go watch it. You can like rent it for like $4 on um, Amazon, I Amazon, think. Amazon, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's good. So check it out. If you, uh, if you have seen it, here we go. So we are going to talk, you know, all spoilers and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I like this movie a lot. Um, I liked it too. We're going to talk a bit more about 1970s cinema in a bit, and uh, it has a lot of connection to it. And you watching this, you feel like you're watching a movie made in 1976, even though it was made in 1990. And there's a b- very big reason for that. There's a number of big reasons for that. So we'll talk more about that in a bit. But I do want to talk just kind of base level, like what you thought about the, the movie and the, and the plot and the characters. Uh, Matt. Yeah, so the first thing that hit me is like in the opening scene, it's just a voiceover with Harrison Ford, right? And, yep. and it... I know it's a court thing, but it uh, it reminded me a lot of Law and Order. Just kind of like you see the courtroom, there's that voiceover. It didn't feel like any movie that I'd seen. Seen, I guess maybe in a long time. Maybe that's the '70s thing. Yeah, there was that. Um, and in general, I really liked the movie. It's uh, it held my attention the entire way through. All the court stuff was fun. There was some amazing acting. Uh, it has like Oscar-winning director. A bunch of Oscar-winning actors, Oscar-winning uh, screenwriter, and I think someone else. Oh, producer too. So I just thought it was kind of a tour de force. A uh, lot of lot of really quality people getting together to make a movie, and you liked it. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, the, everyone involved in this is pretty top notch. So you have Harrison Ford. Uh, you also have like Brian Dennehy, who yeah. recently died, but he, you know he he's a great and he he loves stuff like this. So this is written almost in some regards as almost like a play. It has some like, yeah. you know, the, some of the scenes are quite long, you know, but, so Denny just chews that up he does. and, uh, you know, he was definitely kind of, you know, overacting maybe a touch at times, but he was just having a lot of fun with this role and, and it was, it was fun to watch him. Uh, and then you have uh, Raul Julia. Who, who was my favorite, actually. I thought he stole the goddamn scenes. I mean, he, he was he so good. played this perfectly. Uh-huh. Um, you know, always one step ahead, but he never quite knew what step that was on. It's a very smart, uh, it's a very very clever script. Yeah. Um, I love when you see him start to win and he's just, you know, he'll never gloat. He just gives yeah. you a little bit of a smirk and you can tell that he's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to win here. And I just, I loved watching him through, through the courtroom stuff. Raul Julia is a very bright actor too. And he plays these kind of really intelligent um, characters really well. I, you know, and, and then you have, you know, Bonnie Bedelia who's, yeah. who's fine. And then, you know, Greta Scacchi, who's a smoke show, uh, yeah. you know, especially back then. So, you know, you have the, the this, this, this top notch cast. You have Alan J. Pacula uh, direct this. He's of course, you know, all the president's men. Right. So, um, choice um, yeah i mean this guy is you know top so these are anyone involved with this movie uh and right on down to the cinematographer gordon willis who we'll really talk about in a bit mm. um these are all people who make movies for adults yeah okay? this is not a movie like these are movies this is a movie specifically made for like adults to go watch it's not a you know this is not for kids this is not gonna no um and i don't know if a movie like this exists in 2020 
So, um, you know, you have Harrison Ford take a pretty big paycheck. He made seven and a half million for this. So he so was like a third of the, a third of the budget. Yeah, yeah, 20 million budget. Um, you know, so you know, 20 million budget in 1990 states, like a 45 million dollar yeah. budget today, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, would a studio be willing to basically make a $45 million adult drama, you see a lot less and less of it now. Yeah. Uh, and because they feel, at least before Corona, I don't know what's going to happen post, obviously, but before Corona, it was the attitude was like, well, people are only going to go see, you know, big time tentpole movies like, you know, Marvel, big movies, Star Wars. Or, yeah, sci-fi you know, or whatever. So why am I going to then drop, you know, 45 million on a mid-level drama? But right. meanwhile, this movie made, you know, a couple hundred million. This movie was a huge 220 hit. 220 or something, yeah. Yeah, big. I mean, that's worldwide. But even so, domestically made over 100. This was a big hit. Yeah. Um, And uh, it was a sharp, smart drama that's, you know, for someone, this is the kind of, Look, this isn't the greatest movie ever made, but these kind of movies are why I love movies. Like, I love going to movies like this. I didn't, honestly, I didn't see this when it came out because mm. I was 10. It's really a movie for grownups. It is. And I had never seen it. And uh, I was telling you yesterday before we, uh, yeah, after we taped the last episode because we taped these back to back. Yep. Um, so I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm excited to go home and watch this movie because it's a movie I've always been meaning to see, but it's never been like quite enough where I'm going to go like go out of my way to see it. Right. Um, but now the podcast made me see it. It's like, oh, this is this is awesome because I really enjoyed that movie. I'm really glad I saw it. You had really um, cool, it's cool seeing these craftsmen like Pacula, Willis, uh, even Dennehy, uh, Raul Julia, kind of at the end of their runs, the yep. ends of their, you know, but still really talented, still. It's almost like seeing like Justin Verlander pitch like now. like Yeah, he, he's 37 or whatever. He's, he's still not throwing well, 98 he's not, anymore, not, but right. he's crafty and he yep. knows all of these tricks and he still is able to throw out a really good, you know, seven inning, yeah. two run performance. And right. you walk away from a while, it's really good. That's what this is. Um, I do have a major problem with the end. Oh, yeah, cool. Because uh, I think I, I, we're probably going to talk about the same thing, I would think. Yeah, ASR is coming a mile away. They, yeah. they, spend, they spend the whole first act telling you what a brilliant mathematician she is. Right. Which, you know, quick, uh, you know, uh, life hack here. If they're going to talk about someone being a genius in the first act of the movie, they're, they're almost always the kill killer in the, yeah. the third act. So <laughs> right. a, little, a little too much. Scott, Scott Turow, this is a book that Scott Turow wrote in 87. Um, and I don't know, maybe the book, it's a little different. They, uh, Pacula and uh, I believe it's... Uh, I want to get the name right. Dearborn, I believe, is the... Who wrote it? Wrote it. Um, it was... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Pearson. Yeah. Uh, Pearson and Pacula wrote it. They took Tarot's script. And I guess they did some heavy... They had to do some heavy lifting to kind of make it into uh, a movie. And this was the only Tarot movie... Uh, that be only to wrote a book that became a major motion picture. He had mm. some made for TV movies. Let's not count those. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and maybe Tarot's books just don't equate well to the big screen or not. I don't know. Or maybe what happened was like I was tell talking about, no one wanted to invest that right. kind yeah, of 20 million or something Tarot type yeah, movie, which exactly. he does like courthouse type books. So, yeah. um, so you have Bonnie Bedelia. They, they explain how she's a brilliant mathematician. Then she kind of vanishes in the second act. She well, you like don't see her much because it's a, a lot of court. Uh, and in the third act, it's uh, at the end of the third act, it's revealed that she's the one who did it, which was very obvious, unfortunately. It was. I think this movie would have been so much more effective if uh, it ended that scene on the boat. So there's a scene on the boat with uh, yes. with Harrison Ford and the detective. Um, guy from West Wing. West, two guys from West Wing. Two guys, uh, right. Uh, Bradley, uh, Bradley Whitford. Whitford which well. shows you, once again, how like they took actors who could read intelligent dialogue and then you know that's what west wing was but you agree with politics yep. or not west wing was a was a high uh high IQ high, show. High IQ, exactly yep. like you know the, the stuff they were talking about it wasn't you know it wasn't it wasn't a dim-witted show by any means plus it's aaron sorkin you gotta be quick sure, it's really you know, quick right yep. um and the, you know these guys could handle this kind of script they can handle that pacula and sorkin 
they're not as removed as one might think. Oh, well, I was wondering, I didn't see any crossover, but I was wondering if there was maybe a parallel across. I think there. it's like an uncle and nephew type relation. You yeah. know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. they're not, it's not a direct descendant, right. but you can see some glimmers for yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, so the, 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 I guess it may be like the, what the second to last scene is Harrison Ford and the detective on the boat. And it's really left kind of, you don't really know if Harrison Ford did it or not. Yeah. I like, I, I think the movie's more effective if you kind of walk away wondering, but kind of assuming he did it. Because the wife doing it, that doesn't add up. And, and, she, and she explains, like a James Bond villain at the end, why, yeah, how she did no, it. it, was, it wasn't, and it's so it like bizarre and complex. Like the idea that Harrison Ford did it because he was like just angry at her because it's so much more believable. Right, because you see, they sort of build up to that too. They build up to like, he's jealous. You know, he's having a hard time letting her go. You know, you, you think that it's quite a possibility. In fact, Barbara said, oh, I, I figured he probably did it even after he won the case. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's uh, it, I think it works better that way. I, I don't think you need this like you know Gone Girl type twist. It was weird too because because her she said she left enough evidence for Harrison Ford to know that she did it, but not enough to convict her. But that's bullshit. The hammer with blood on it and hair on it. That's enough to convict someone. So what other clues would have led him to believe that it was? And did she make that mistake then of leaving the blood soaked? hammer in their toolbox it made no it didn't make sense to me yeah i did i i, I was actually hoping you would explain it to me because i thought maybe i missed something but I, it sounds like it's not it seemed right the end was seemed really convenient for a movie i didn't take shortcuts so it was a little disappointing right. to yeah. see that yeah this movie kind of goes out of its way to like you know you got to keep up with it um it doesn't give you any shortcuts and and, and it, it it doesn't have any it starts off with this political uh this uh da da and then he loses the election. That's kind of an interesting thing. You yep. don't usually see that. And usually they win, right? Win sure. election. So yeah. it's kind of cool to see him lose the election and kind of that transition. And it did things in a clever and I felt like really intelligent way, except for that end, it needed to have like this Perry Mason bow tie on it. And it was disappointing. The other thing that was weird for me is why is Dennehy's character lying about uh, Harrison Ford's character wanting to be involved in this murder case? Yeah, I don't get that either. So that, whole, it, it, that, that part I don't get. So there's two things. I it's get, only for the audience. I don't get that. And I also don't understand why he was surprised at the line of questioning he got from Raul I know, Julia. he should know. He's a DA. He's he a knows. DA and he knows it. Like nothing that was, there was a like, great reveal. He's so, lying. So he that knows. was a little strange why Dennis, he had this like, heel turn. He was like, almost like a wrestler. <laughs> he became <laughs> it like- It was, yeah. But I think it was, it was too, it was to sow doubt in the minds of uh, the viewer to think that maybe this is some sort of conspiracy to kill this woman. But- it had nothing to do with the plot, though. No one else in that in no one else in in the court would have known this. It's, it was really only for the audience's benefit. That was, I, I just didn't get it. That was I had the same question. And yeah, I don't really have an answer. I also don't really have an answer for uh, you know why they tightened that had the ending like that. You know, it, it, I guess they just wanted kind of a convenient, clever way to end it. But um, I like the idea that corruption won the day. Sure. So let's say Harrison Ford did do it, but he got off because of those. The judge was taking bribes. You know, he was a connected. Harrison Ford's a connected guy. Yeah. So because of those things, he gets off. I think that's a more frightening movie. Absolutely. Than this crazy wife that's jealous. Like that's not. That's to me is like, uh, what are we doing here? It's you know, it's a little too a uh, movie movie of the week nonsense when this movie was better than that the entire <laughs> yeah. time. The other thing that was kind of weird was the wacky coroner. I mean, he gets his head handed to him in the you know in the in the courtroom but before that when harrison ford's characters go into like ask him about the autopsy yeah. he's just kind of wacky and weird i kind of like that did it's you like that i was like what is this it seemed out of place so 
there is a kind of a, a tell to this a bit. So at one point, uh, Greta Scacchi asks Harrison Ford, why don't you fire her? He, he has kind of right. a rude secretary. Yep. He's like, it's civil service. They have jobs for life. Yes. And I felt like with the corner, like that's what you're seeing. You're seeing how in the, in the bones of government, it's not just corruption, but it's just like ineptitude. And it's just like, you know, this is how people get like, go to jail for a long time. This yeah. is how people get like fucked. Yeah. Because like these guys are making sloppy mistakes because maybe they are overworked. Right. Or maybe they're just not good at their job. Two weeks or something. Like, I think I like, the reason I like that is because you don't often see people bad at their job. Yeah. You do see people that are, are in movies. You see people that are either great at their job, the best archeologist ever yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or you'll see people that are like being conniving in their job. But you don't see ineptitude as everyone I'm sure listens to this. We all know that person at work. It just like sucks their just job. A, a shitty, yeah, and I shitty think that's what this corner was. Just someone who's just bad at their job. And I like, cause that, that to me felt made it feel real. Like there are, I guarantee there are really shitty corners. Yeah. You and there are oh, really shitty are. everything, yeah, right. but we don't see it because you know, movies have the need, I guess to make every, everything the best or whatever. But yeah, that's true. I kind of liked how it made me feel. I was like, Oh shit, this guy just sucks. I mean, I knew you knew he was corrupt, but you made him corrupt, and then you made him suck. Inept, too. Yeah, yeah, inept. Yeah, and I like that. Yeah, so right, I, I, love- I, I, I like that element. Harrison Ford in this movie. Um, so right. he, his haircut is not good. <laughs> no, it's not. Every, kinda, it's like a monk cut almost. I every think. hair in his head he is the same length. Is that what they are? I frocks? Think, I don't know. Yeah, like every hair in his head is the same length. It is. Yeah. It's like, uh, and I guess he did that on purpose. He wanted it so people like. Uh, it was a Harrison Ford you'd never seen before. It's what he was going for. For real. That was, that was a real thing. <laughs> That's young Harry too. He's only 50 there. Uh, only, yeah, I feel like that looks great. The only time I know, but I feel like I only know Harrison Ford as like a seven year old. That's what it feels well, like. We, I've known this he's is our fourth forever. Harrison Ford. We've been doing this. Jesus, has it been that? Yeah. Two Indiana Jones, the Star, Star Wars. Wars and this, yeah, you're and right. This is the most recent. Yeah. The most modern of these. Uh, and I, I was thinking, I'm like, man, like this is our fourth Harrison Ford movie. We've only done like what? 18 episodes. And <laughs> no, um, it was 20. It was 20. All right, yep. there you go. So, you know, What's that? Twenty percent of our time our is doing Harrison Ford, Ford, which kind of, on some level, makes sense. It he does. makes huge hits. He's been a star our entire lives. Yeah. So you know, it does make sense that he's the one that we would see the most. Um, but I, I think he is. I, I, I he. I read a good. Re- I read a review that I liked about this. It said that I forget who wrote it, but it said that Harrison Ford in this role is like things are happening to him. Yeah. And I think that's really well put because, and I think he plays that role really well. Yep. He's very reactionary. He's not causing the action, but things are just kind of happening to him. He's almost, and, and the movie kind of works in that level. At first, I'm like, he's playing this really like low key. He is. Like, it's like almost like too anti indie because this was right after Glass Crusade. Right. And I felt like he was doing like an anti indie thing for a little while. Maybe he was. Because even the, like, he wasn't the aggressor in the relationship with uh, with Carolyn, with that character. It was it was really her. Like, she... At first, but then he was the... Oh, well, well, but then after, he was like right. a sniveling guy, which is kind of yeah. very anti indie as totally, well. Totally, yeah. After after uh, after she took it away from him. Yeah, right. Then, then he did that, right. Um, And uh, it, that, that, but it worked. And he the character... I liked it because I never really liked him. And I don't think you're supposed to because he could be a murderer. So could be. I, I kind of liked how he, he didn't make himself likable, which Harrison Ford obviously has so much charisma, yeah. especially then, um, where, you know, you can't help but like Indiana Jones, where here you're like, I don't, you know, I don't know if I, I don't like know, this like, guy. Yeah. This guy's got a weird haircut. He's you know, c- kind of a mopey guy. He's kind, kind of, you know. But was it, did he do anything like this before 1990? Well, he had done Witness. Witness. Right? And he had done, so starting in 85, he did the two Peter Weir movies, Witness and um, The Mosquito Coast. Oh, that's right. Um, and then, so that. 85 is when he finally started doing more of these adult dramas. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll run into them as well, uh, which I'm excited for. I think they're good. Um, and this is good. Um, so I kind of like the choices he was making. I think it's cool for someone like him to work with a Peter Weir, to work with an Alan J. Pacula. Like those are, that's, that's what these guys should be doing. 
Right. Um, and he worked with Pacula again for Pacula's last movie, The Devil's Own with Brad Pitt, which oh, was, yeah. did not work. Yeah. Um, and that was also Good and Willis's last movie too. Mm. Um, so this was the last time I think like Pacula and Willis and these guys like really were, this is like, this is really like the last dance. I don't, Devil's Own didn't work. Or maybe we were, we're running into that too, but that, that quite didn't quite work as like, like this one did. This sure. worked. This, yeah. this did what they wanted it to do. And it was effective. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I have much to say besides I think this is a B plus movie for me. And I know you wanted to talk about 70 cinema. Do I you do. have anything else about this one? I, do, I give this an A minus. Okay. I think it's good. Yeah, uh, it's really, I it know, is good. I don't know if I'll crack the top five. It, 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 the, ending it really, the ending really, That's the it might be a B plus movie because that end, the ending yeah. really dropped down. It was really disappointing. I, I love the idea and that's what Pacula does so well. Pacula does these, these movies that are about paranoia. Um, mm. All the President's Men yeah. and Clute and these movies are about like, you know, about uh, larger forces in the government or in, yeah. you know, letting us down. Yeah. Um, how the corruption never, you know, is, is all around us. And then when you make it about a, a you know, a pissy housewife, eh, yeah, you know, I that agree. sucks. Like that's, that's kind of like, so I was, I was very disappointed about that. Um, so, the other thing that was kind of weird though, I, I have to say is the weight of the entire fucking world is on Harrison Ford's character. Yeah. On Rusty. Rusty. But he doesn't really, he's not really that affected by it. Do you think it's just because he felt guilt? The character felt guilty because she was she was killed. I think there's a lot of that. I also think it's how it almost makes makes the main character like a red herring. Like, yeah, you know, your yeah. whole time you're assuming this. Guy, why isn't this guy emoting? Right, and he only cries at the very very end of the movie when he realizes what his wife has done. He never really no. Cries. There was a, there was oh, the other one right right when, when, when his wife look, catches looking at the pictures. Yes, yeah, he's he's a little he's a little. Messed it was up never there. about love that that scene. But even that, it could you could say that's uh, uh, not crying because of sadness, but crying out of out of guilt, out of yeah. uh, killing her. Yeah, a murderous. Uh, you know, but he never really truly emotes until the very, you know, that's true. Uh, you know, soberly emotes at least because he was drunk in that other scene um, until the very end. I think it's done to try to make you think this guy could be a sociopath. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That and, makes sense. Uh, and it, Harrison does well. Harrison Ford is also in the movie, the conversation, which is a phenomenal movie. And this will be our kind of, transition. I don't even remember him in there. He's it's a smaller role. He's, he's frightening it. Um, uh, he's, he's very, he's really good, but he, he kind of plays like a, a sociopathic. It's a, it's a very small role. So maybe this guy isn't a sociopath. He kind of plays him as such as one, yeah. as a menacing figure. Um, that's not charismatic at all. Uh, if you haven't seen the conversation, go see it. It's a movie. Um, and we're going to transition down to 70 cinema a bit because I love 70 yeah, cinema yeah. and, and, uh, it's gives me an excuse to talk about it. Gene so, Hackman movie. Yeah. Gene Hackman. And it's the movie that was made between Godfather one and Godfather two. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola wanted yeah. to make a smaller film. And he wanted to just like take out of, you know, get out of the Godfather mindset for a, a second. And he made this. And it actually came out the same year as Godfather 2. So both were nominated for Best Picture. So in one year, <laughs> yeah. Coppola had two. And both hold up. Like they're both yeah. amazing films. Uh, and uh, he made uh, he made this movie. So let's talk a little about Godfather and talk about how this was shot. So yeah. this was uh, the, the director is Alan J. Pacula uh, of uh, Presumed Innocent. He also directed, like I said, All the President's Men and other movies. But the cinematographers we really want to talk about is Gordon Willis. When I saw Gordon Willis' name in the credits, I got, I got excited because <laughs> I'm, I'm an, I guess, a nerd. That, may, that makes someone a nerd, I think, when they get excited about a yeah, cinematographer. Yeah. There's three great cinematographers. Uh, you know, you have Roger Deakins. You have uh, Gordon Hall, who we love. And um, I'm sorry, Conrad Hall, who we love. And um, he did Road of Perdition. Yeah. And uh, Deakins is probably the most famous. Um, he did. He just did 1917, but he's done uh, Shawshank. He's done yep. a ton of stuff. He he's he is like the he's done a lot of the Coen Brothers. Like Roger Deakins is probably the mm. most famous. But Gordon Willis is, I think, the most interesting. Um, so Gordon Willis is nicknamed the Prince of Darkness for how he <laughs> shot Godfather One and Godfather Two, especially. But he also does in this movie too. 
So in Godfather 1, it shot very dark. And he got a lot of blowback from that. Did he? In fact, he was... Uh, Godfather 1, Godfather 2, he was not nominated for Best Cinematographer. He wasn't? Which now, in hindsight, this is like... His cinematography is like taught in film schools. Right. Like It was a complete... Uh, the Academy completely missed the boat. And I, I talked in the last episode how I feel that Oscars work if you look at the nominations. That gives right. you the full Yeah, back. yeah. So the fact that the nominees missed this is one of the biggest missteps in Oscar history. And they do try to make it up to him. He was nominated for Best Cinematography for Godfather 3. It's not the same. Not the same. And he didn't win the movie's trash but um but yeah but you can tell that they realize fuck and godfather one is obviously shot very dark godfather two is shot in like pitch black yeah uh, especially the scenes with uh michael the scenes with Vito have like that sepia tone to them mm. right again it's because it's a looking back and if you notice films that's the first time that was really used with lights used in that way that sepia look of like uh, an old photograph yeah and now when you watch movies from 1974 on they all fucking they steal that, that. <laughs> but he wasn't even nominated like he this amazingly innovative way of shooting the past and he doesn't even get nominated yeah. um, people really didn't like the darkness people were really uh, like a, like upset I couldn't see what's happening on the screen all this stuff they were they didn't see it as uh, you know Michael the darkness was also translating Michael's descent sure. into just being evil right you know, you know, we know that now. We all know the Godfather now. So this movie has some darkness too in Presumed Innocent. So, and this is a great example of why I, when I was watching, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I'm watching a 70s, which is great. So uh, let's just talk real quick about the one scene where Harrison Ford and Greta Scacchi sleep together on his desk. They, yeah. they have sex on his desk. So that shot, right? So it, it starts with, they're both in the room. He, he locks the door. And then the camera is then on the side, right? It's a side yep. profile. Yeah. And I think that shot, and I could be wrong. I love that Papacula's dead. Everyone who's involved in this is fucking dead, unfortunately, because right. they were all old. It's like, this is like their last yeah. you know, great run at this. 1980s Phillies, or 1983 Phillies. Like, this is like their last chance. So, um, uh, so you have this scene. It's shot from the side. And I think that's supposed to show that like they're on even playing field. Interesting. Like, you know, no one has the upper hand necessarily. And they trust the actors. Pacula trusts the actors. He's like, look, we'll do this in one shot. We don't, you know, think about how love shots, how like sex scenes are shot. It's like yeah, very it's like cuts all cuts, over the place. Cuts, right. cuts, cuts, yep. It's all over the place. Cameras are in different angles. And a lot of it is a cheat because either they- You don't want to see You don't want to see certain or, things, yeah. but a lot of it also is they might not trust the actors to be, you know, they, you know- it, To look natural. There's a lot of like, way, there's right. a lot of complexities with that. I get that. But this was a situation where they were able to, obviously they must have really trust Ford and Sketchy to pull this off and they do. It's great. So they, they shoot it from the side. It's incredibly dark. Mm. You don't usually see, you know, you do see sex scenes shot dark, but not like this. This was shot incredibly dark. Um, and it no, was- usually body parts are illuminated. Exactly. Yeah. And they don't and do that really here. And the, and the reason I think they do this is this wasn't about- um, love. This yeah. was about like lust. Yeah. And it also with the darkness is also showing you this shouldn't be happening. Right. Like he locks the door, right? That's a sign like this is not good, yeah. right? We're yeah. doing something that no one should see. And you're seeing it from the side and it's never a shot with like passion. You never see, you see them have like passionate sex, but they're not like, there's no close up of their face. Or you mentioned like the body right. parts of the limited. Yeah. Because this isn't about that with this. This is about one woman's trying to get ahead yeah, and this guy is just bored with his just, wife yep. who, who they've said in before, like he's just had the same life forever. Right. And he is, um, he's, he's a flawed man here. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's, they, even though like how they're like, I'm like, I'm buckling and taking the clothes off. It's, it's awkward, but yet it's still two adults doing it. It's not clumsy for yep. comedic effect. It's shot like, it's shot like really honestly and really like openly and, um, but yet it's shot dark and the camera never moves. It is honestly, like if you look at what they're, touching on each other like yeah. she's gro she's groping him in his crotch like he's he's got her breast like yeah. it, it it's pretty um yeah it's pretty raw actually it's really raw yeah. and uh but yet they hit 
it, it feels real. It, it's just shot yeah. really well, but it is, it is dark. And, uh, and that is, that is, and the other thing, like when he's in her office, it, 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 after they find out she's dead, he, he goes in her office and he's like looking up her uh, on her computer. Mm. Um, it's very dark. Yeah. Like, like a lot of the stuff around her is like shrouded in darkness. People keep saying how this, this woman's no good. And stuff well, he, like that. she meets a man later on. I think it's Brian Dennehy's character, but you can't see him uh, after she's done with Harrison's forecare and they go up into her apartment or something. And that's all really dark. You can't even see the guy she's with. Right. You know, it is Dennehy. You know, it is. They're not, but, they're not doing that to disguise the guy. They're doing it to, right. show, to show that this, the is, darkness, this yeah. is darkness here. Uh, just as an aside, that scene, that lovemaking scene or whatever, that passionate sex scene cuts to uh, a scene, the photograph of her with her head bashed in. Yes. It's it's like a, it's very shocking. Right. That end of that is very shocking. It is. It yeah. is. And that's that's obviously a packed decision. But the lighting and things like that, that's what a cinematographer really does best. A good cinematographer will light stuff. So um, Gordon Willis um, shot, have you seen Manhattan? Woody Allen movie? Yeah, so long ago. So, so long. What, Manhattan is, um, is, you could say Manhattan is the movie that has aged the worst ever. Mm. Well, you know, since, you know, you know, slavery movies and Nazi movies and right. stuff. But in the last 50 years, you want to say what movie has aged the worst? You can make a good case for Manhattan. So um, Manhattan is about Woody Allen. It's a Woody Allen movie. He directed it and he wrote it and starred in it, just like all the Woody Allen movies yeah. in, in that time. Um, I'm not a Woody Allen fan. I'll say that up front. I don't, right. I, I never, and it has nothing. I, I don't like Woody Allen, the human being, but I just don't like Woody. I don't think Woody Allen is, yeah. Uh, I'm sure we're going to run into a lot of Woody Allen movies doing this that I haven't seen before. Probably. We just haven't run into one yet, but I have seen Manhattan and it, it is interesting. So Manhattan is shot all black and white. Manhattan is about Woody Allen who plays a guy in his late 30s, early 40s who's an SNL writer. It's not SNL, it's a, but SNL type right, show. Yeah. And he starts dating a, uh, I think it's a 16-year-old girl. That's right. High school girl. Played by Mariel Hemingway. And um, it's done with such, they talk about it, the age difference, but it's almost like he's dating someone who's like, he's 40 and she's 22 is that casual about the age difference. Like at one point he picks her up from high school. Yeah. Like it's like really fucked up. Yeah. And, um, it's, it's very disturbing. Meryl Streep's in this. It's the only Woody Allen movie she ever did. Um, which is interesting. Um, uh, I, I don't know if she got kind of disgusted by him or, or what, or, or, yeah. or, you know, she, she, you know, right after that, she did Sophie's choice, which is also directed by Alan J. Packett. That's right. Yeah. Oh and yeah. That's, yeah talking, you know, right. and she, you know, her career at that point was just, you know, off, yeah, off. Yeah, she yeah. didn't need to do Woody Allen movies. Of course. Um, but it was shot, it's shot in black and white, but here's the thing that makes the movie such an unusual watch. And I do recommend if, if you, if you're interested in film to watch this, it's, it's not a good, I don't like this movie, Yeah. but it's amazing to see this horrible human being. But then on the flip side, the whole movie is a love letter to, to Manhattan. And um, Gordon Willis is shooting Manhattan in a way it's never been shot before or since. You could say it's the most beautiful black and white movie ever made. It is unbelievably shot. And this is Gordon Willis. So Woody Allen, you know, what great writer or whatever. I don't think he's great. Whatever. He's known for his writing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. He obviously is acting, so it's yeah. hard for him to direct if he's acting, right? True. Like, at least from a, uh, a framing point of view, right? So that puts more emphasis on the cinematography. Exactly. Yeah. And when you have someone like Gordon Willis is coming off, and Gordon Willis and Woody Allen had, done, had, had collaborated a bunch before. Yeah. So Gordon Willis really was on some level sort of like a, a almost like a director by default here. Um, so he was shooting these scenes, unbelievable scenes uh, in Manhattan. And they're the most beautiful, some of those beautiful filmmaking ever shot and then it's all you know juxtaposed by this hideous Weird, man hideous relationship Awful, and, really yeah. disturbing stuff yeah. he's, he's manipulating the girl the whole time yeah. some really fucked up shit in this movie yeah. um but if you uh if you want to see kind of like what gordon willis's magic is i almost recommend that even more than the godfather on some <laughs> level because you walk away going that was amazing but then you're like but you you want to like you want to like 
wash your mouth out with Listerine and take a, sh- a shower because you feel so disgusted by this film. Right. It's such an odd watch. But yeah, so yeah, so that's what happened. So when, um, after he did his work with the Godfather movies, um, uh, Willis did some stuff with Woody Allen and then he uh, then was doing, uh, he also worked with Pacquiao a bunch. He did he did some Pacquiao stuff early on mm. and then some Pacquiao stuff later on. And then he, the last thing he did in 97 was, um, was the devil's own, just like Pacquiao's last movie. Pacquiao died in 98, died in a car accident. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, very disturbing. It was like, I guess he was driving and someone had like a metal pipe uh, crash through their car and I think it hit Pacquiao. I don't know if it hit Pacquiao himself and then he drove off and smashed into like a guardrail. So I don't know if like the pipe got him or the guardrail, but he died instantly. Rough. Um, yeah. And so Pacquiao's last movie was the devil's own. Would yeah. that have been his last? I'd say probably not. He might've kept doing, but Willis was definitely done. Willis he did. Was, yeah. And Willis eventually did get, uh, an honorary Oscar. Um, finally they, they may do uh, pretty recently, a couple years ago. Um, but like what, a, what a crime this man, you know, you can, so he never won. Was he ever he never won? He was nominated for, nominated for twice. Not okay. for not for Manhattan either. Yeah, for, right. Just insane. Godfather three and then one other. Godfather three. I forget the other one. Um, yeah. Uh, he got nominated uh, and then uh, I think it was, I forget what it was. Uh, yeah. I mean, how insane just wasn't is that? Recognized. I mean, just it, it, to have a guy that that brilliant not be recognized is is a shame. So uh, yeah. So uh, absolutely. So I mean, these, these guys are brilliant guys. Definitely check out Presumed Innocent. Check out Manhattan if you haven't seen it. Uh, you know, don't watch it on a full stomach. Um, uh, you know, it's it's very it's very disturbing. But um, and you can maybe see kind of like what some of the stuff Gordon Willis does really really well. It's definitely definitely worth a watch. Okay, great. So let's move on to the song then. Let's do it. And it is the power from Snap. And I'm gonna play a little bit for you. Like the crack of the whip, I snap attack. (laughs) (laughs) Dig it like a shovel. I'm the lyrical Jesse James. Is it getting kind of heavy? Getting kind of hectic, right? Is it heavy or hectic? They both happen. Okay. Yeah, both happen. Once uh, there's a part where the women all sing, it's getting kind of, I think they say heavy, and then later on, um, the guy sings hectic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, how, you, do you like this song? I do. It's fine. Uh, yeah. It's, it's fine. It's, it's, it's good. Uh, oh, my God. I fucking love this song. It's, it's good. So much. I heard it, a lot of junior high dances. I, oh, yeah. It's, it's kind of repetitive. I mean, I've heard it a lot. If I never heard it again, that'd be fine. It's fine. It's good. It's good. It's for this period of time. For what we're talking about, 1990, I think music is pretty lousy. Yeah, so it is lousy. This is a step up for what most music was out. Oh, I love this song. I like this song when it came out. Yeah. No, I love it now. You love it now? Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I like- Do you I, have the power, do you think? Oh, I've got the power. Okay. Well, I, I just, yeah, I, I, the, the words that I wrote were, I don't understand how any living, breathing person could not like this song. <laughs> that's that's how much I feel. Uh, how, yeah, how, no, it's definitely really how, how fun. About it. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a good, it's a good song for sure. All right, well, we'll get into why I love it uh, in a minute, but I do want to talk about- who these people are and, you know, some other stuff first. I like to kind of go with the facts, I guess. So, uh, Snap is the name of the band. Were they upset when Crackle and Pop left the group? They did. They were. <laughs> that wasn't their original name, actually, Snap. <laughs> That's a good joke I just told. Yeah, it was great. That's funny. Crispy treats. Um, they were, so, they're a German group. 
They were originally called Power Jam. And I'm going to tell you like sort of what, what happened, why they changed their name and stuff. But uh, it's Power Jam. They added this guy, Turbo B. He's the rapper on here. He wasn't originally in the band, but they, they added him later. So they had a few other hits, but the one big one was Rhythm is a Dancer. Rhythm yeah, yeah, is a right. Dancer. That, that was on their follow-up I like this album. song better. Oh, this song is way better. Yeah. And we'll talk about that. Uh, but... This song hit number two, and it was this week, and I think maybe the next couple weeks it, it was number two. Sold two million copies worldwide, so that, that, that's not bad. It's funny this um, was number two, though, because the number one song we, we covered on Wednesday. Yeah. This song, to me, is iconic. Like, I, yeah. I, I know yep. this song. You remembered like, this one. Absolutely. Like, I right. totally remember this song. I remember hearing it. I never remember hearing that number one song ever. No, <laughs> I didn't remember it. As you know, yeah, as we yeah, talk it's about funny it. funny how that works. It is funny. Um, what happened was this first version was entirely built on samples. And there's a lot of samples in the song and I'll, and I'll show you some of them. Uh, but it was a dance hall song released in Germany, but hit, hit like the dance charts around Europe. Um, and what happened was, and it was starting to chart and they were starting to make some money. But what happened was they wanted to bring it to North America, you know, get into the American charts, but they didn't, they weren't authorized to use any of the samples. They just like pulled them and made the song. So what they ended up doing is, you know, for copyright issues, they, they, if they did that and brought it into the United States, started playing, started making money, they would have been sued. They would have lost all the money, all right. the royalties on that song. So they ended up re-recording it, getting authorization for all the samples, re-recording it as a different song and adding Turbo B as the vocalist and changing their name to, you know, from... Um, Whatever, to snap. Power jam. Yeah, power jam. Right, power jam to snap. Okay. And then release it in the United States. So it kind of had like a two-prong charting event. Sure. Ones that started in Europe and then one that hit North America in the United States market. But then it charted again after afterwards as snap too. And like I said, sold two million copies. Um, there's kind of a funny thing. I, I watched the video. I, they probably didn't play this in the radio radio edit, but it actually, the song begins with a man speaking Russian. Yeah. So did you hear it? I, I couldn't make out what he was saying. Oh, I guess now well, I, yeah, I didn't know it was Russian. Yeah. I did my, what is this I'll name? give you the translation. It's the American company Transceptor Technology has started production of the personal companion computer. That's the translation. And like the an personal, iPhone. Yeah. Personal companion. They, well, saw, they saw the future. The, they didn't because the personal oh, companion computer at the time was some sort of translating device for uh, the visually impaired. So that was actually a product that had come out like right oh. before then. I think that's what they were referring to. Why would they, why would they make that part of the I song? I have no Does idea. Does that give someone the power? Couldn't fit. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, you know. Maybe that's what happened. So, so here's, I think I know what happened. Oh, so um, someone who's visually impaired. Yeah. Gets this tool and now they have, this is them singing. That's exactly like, what it I is. Like, I have the power. Like, it's the power. Getting, maybe it's getting heavy or hectic. I think it's both heavy and hectic. No, I know, but I'm saying maybe that's what's happened to this blind right. person. Right, they couldn't quite decide, so they had one versus heavy and one versus hectic. Mm. You think that's what it was? I don't know. So Turbo B, the other thing that kind of sticks out to me is he doesn't sound, he doesn't have a German accent at all. Like, his vo his no. rap vocals are, don't, I would, I thought he was American. Yeah. Um, but he's not. And, uh, and his flow is Really awesome. For the, if you juxtapose this versus what Bobby Brown did on that Miro song from right. yesterday, he sounds like a child doing a nursery rhyme versus, you know, Turbo B here. This who's sounds slinging much, more, it. much more like late 90s. So he's ahead Absolutely. of his time. Yeah, he is. Uh, sort of a heavy D in the boys type of Yeah, like, I saw that comparison so, as well. Yeah, right. And and yeah, when I saw it, I was like, this sound, that's, that's, that seems that's about, about right. right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so maybe he was an influence or something. I don't know. But uh, that, anyway, he, Turbo B. The album is World Power, is what it's called. It's their debut album, as we know. They're big on power. Power they are. Jam, yeah, yeah, World yeah, Power, yeah. I Got the Power. Power is very big with these guys. But this album was a lot bigger than I 
I thought of oh. too. And there, I, there, a couple of the other songs I knew. So there were four international top tens on this. There's a oops, ups, oops, up, side the head, oops, up, side the head was a song that I knew. I don't know that. Uh, I saw that. Yeah, I watched the video. I was like, oh yeah, I know this fucking song. Right. That that charted top 10 uh, in the US and abroad. In the US? Yeah, in the US. Wow. Yep. Uh, and then Mary Had a Little Baby, a Little Boy was another- Mary Had a Little Boy? A Little Boy. That was their, their other song that charted uh, top 10. I, and I, I didn't know that one. I watched the video for that one too. And it, that didn't, I didn't know it, but- but anyway, it was like a you know the album sold two million, the single sold two million. It it, it did pretty well. Yeah. Um. So, I guess now I want to talk about why I like this song so much. Okay. And it's this concept of the hook. You know what a hook is? Yeah. A hook in music is like a you know it's a it's a lyrical phrase or it's a musical phrase that draws your attention to it. This one has a great one. Yeah. But it doesn't have one. This song is hook after hook after hook after hook. Like it just the whole song is hooks. If you think about it, the lyrics, uh, Turbo B is only rapping over a very small portion of the song. It's not a long song, it's three and a half minutes, but he has three very short verses. I played the first one, you know, at the beginning, so you guys can rewind and, and listen to it if you want. But that's what it, that's what it's, uh, it, first of all, it goes right, 15 seconds in, you're right into the verse. You, you are, you know, you hear, you hear the guitar thing, but now, now, now. Now, bow, 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 now, and then I got the power, and then he's right in singing his verse. But there's a lot of space in between his verses, like throughout the entire song. Right. So, I mean, you might have 30 seconds in between him singing again, which is not often done in in like this style of pop music. And I was thinking about it, like some of the other, you know, we've we've kind of got we went through sort of some slow jam raps uh, on the show. I think a couple times already. And I was, I was thinking, I was like, I sort of realized why, I, when we did it, I was kind of like, the reason why I don't really like it is because it doesn't, those songs don't really go anywhere. There's the lyrics and they're okay or whatever. Or there's the, there's the flow, which is okay, but the, the music doesn't do anything that inspires. And I realized why those are very repetitive. They don't have hook. They don't have hooks. Where this song, which I love, is all hooks. It is all. So you've got, um, first of all, it starts with that, that guitar, like I said, now that is a hook. Everybody remembers that right? I mean, you, yeah, yeah sure. right. Um, it has the, it's getting kind of heavy and getting kind of hectic. That's something that we can all, we all quote. It's getting, it's getting, it's getting kind of heavy. That's a hook. We all remember that. Um, there's the break my heart part, uh, which is this. This is actually the sample they use. That's the sample that they use. Um, that's uh, the break my heart. Like you, you doesn't break my heart. You hear that? Uh, you remember that as the hook. There's the, um, oh, there's him saying, please stay. Uh, there's a couple like lyrical hooks. Please stay off my back because I will attack and you won't want that. The, or yeah, 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 I'm the yeah. lyrical Jesse James. Everybody yeah. can quote right. those motherfuckers. Yep. Those are two hooks. And then you've got, uh, let's see, break my heart. Please stay off my back. Um, oh, the trill. This one's kind of a, this is a little bit under the radar one, but this always, I can, oh, all right. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the sample that they're using. This isn't, you know, that's not actually in the song. So there's the trill hook. There's the, um, oh, there's the ding too. Uh, there, I, I fucking love this. It's like this cow, sampled kind of cowbell-ish, Casio tone, almost cowbell thing. Um, let me find the ding here. That's like totally iconic to me too. Like that, that beat with that ding, 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 yeah. right thing. That's like all fucking overplaced. That's a fucking hook. Um, just all over. So you've got, uh, and you have the break. Oh, the break my heart. You will break. That's actually Shaka Khan too. That's from, from oh, one of her tunes, right. which is a neat one. This is all like samples too, that they put together. 
Um, there are four like pretty uh, recognizable samples that 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 they use, and which makes sense because that's how they that's how they put the original song together. Sure, and then plus his his um, his vocals. So anyway, that's why I love the song so much. Is as is I remember, like I re- as I was going back to listen to it again, it's like, oh, this is familiar to me. Oh, this is familiar to me the whole entire time. It's one big hook. So. I mean, that's the big reason why I love like uh, well, the samples and great samples is like. You know, Paul's boutique, I think, does it the oh, best, yeah. right? Like, yeah. they use samples like an amazing way, and yeah, um, it is fun to have that familiarity, and, and also, like I said, it does provide you a lot of extra like hooks when you're listening to, you know, Beasties and Dust Brothers did such a great job yep. of like finding the samples and and finding the right samples for the right moments. Um, and this song, I mean, this this is, this is great. I, I didn't know I didn't know about a lot of those samples in the backgrounds. For yeah. Sure. The other thing that I, I wanted to say is you could tell that someone. Love this song. Like the the people who wrote this song loved it. They put some love into it. I want to show you one more example of sure. like a de- just a small detail that you wouldn't necessarily recognize, but it just gives this flavor um, to the third verse. And it's this underlying string um, line that you'll hear. It's not in any of the other. That's in the third verse. It's not in any of the other verses. They just do that. Bow now 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 bow now. It's nowhere else. They just did it in this little verse. It's just this little flavor difference to give you just a slightly different look. You were talking about crafty Verlander, right? Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like a slightly look. Maybe he's, he's changed his arm angle a little bit so that the pitch looks a little bit different coming out of out of their hands or out of his hands. Kind of the same thing here. The pitch is just a little bit different in this than the rest of the song. So someone loved this. Someone put detail into this song that just, you know, makes it interesting. So I love this fucking song. All right. Yeah. It's a good song. You want to talk about uh, what the fuck you were doing in 1990? Yeah. So this is summer of 90. Uh, not a great summer for me. Um, uh, so this is this. So I just finished fifth grade. Uh, you know, I, I, this is the first year I was in New Hampshire. Didn't have a lot of friends. Mm. I was just kind of having a hard time fitting in. And then that summer was the summer before sixth grade. And I was just, I just remember feeling really down on top of it. My dad was really tired all the time. And, um, my mom was like getting kind of like my mom would come home from work. My dad wasn't working, which is odd. My dad always worked. And then, uh, you know, he was getting pension from, um, he retired from the stagehands, but still like he, my dad was not one to sit around. Right. She come home and dishes were in the sink. She's like, what the fuck's going on? Like, you know, and he was just exhausted. He's like, I don't even know why I'm so tired. Sleeping, you know, 10, 15, 20 hours a day. He's like, really? What's going on? So he's trying to see doctors and he's just kind of figure out what's going on. So, you know, that's kind of in the summer. I just didn't have a lot of friends that summer. And yeah. um, it really wasn't until the next year when I got a lot of the friends that I got, I ended up having my whole life. That you stay with, right. Um, but it, it, this this was that period of time where I didn't have a ton of friends. I was going to junior high. I remember being kind of nervous about that and like just feeling like, oh man, I wish we were still back in New York. Like, just I just I just didn't like where we were. I just didn't like being in New Hampshire. I didn't like not having friends. I didn't like, yeah. you know, my dad and Flash. You know, spoiler alert: my dad was cancer, and you know, my dad would be dead in four years. But at that point, we didn't know that. But he was going in trying to get uh, meetings with doctors, trying to figure out why this. Did they not? Thirty-eight-year-old like, man was was tired, was tired all the time. Did they not? look into cancer right away? I mean, for something like that, you'd think that's a huge symptom. They didn't. In fact, one, well, he went to one doctor in New Hampshire. I forget where, but, um, you know, it's 1990s. So yeah, like, right, yeah. Guy's probably dead, long dead. But uh, he went in and the, the doctor kicked him out of the office and said he, my dad was asking for pain pills. 
the fuck? Yeah, my, my, he like lectured. He yelled at my dad and like threw him out of the office. Like, you're, like I'm you're just trying to figure out what's wrong with. Yeah, me, he's like, asshole. no, you're completely healthy. You're you're an addict. I you're hope that guy's get, dead. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I I also agree. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so my dad was getting because my dad you know looked healthy and was 38 and was he was just exhausted all the time and just had no idea why and it really started like right when we moved to New Hampshire. And he just got more and more tired. And I was like, what? And my mom was just like, this, is this why I'm moving to Hampshire? But meanwhile, my dad was a, like a like a monster when it came to work, like in right. New York. So to come here and all of a sudden just be like, my mom's like, you're taking this retirement thing a bit too far. I feel like, what's yeah, going no, on here? No, no, no. And, uh, but my mom knew my dad was sick. She wasn't like, she wasn't like yeah. hectoring him or anything, but she was just trying to figure out what was going on. And she was kind of annoyed. Like I said, it's kind of frustrating to come home. And of course, you know, I'm making my sister dinner. I'm like, what am I, like 10? My dad's just too tired to even make dinner. And like, this isn't, what's going on here? It was just, it was very strange. This was kind of a weird moment right before we got the di- we got the diagnosis in October of 90. So this is kind of that weird time right before we're like, yeah. what's going on? Like things just don't seem right. I was miserable. I wasn't, you know, and it was just, I remember just being, and I looked at some of the movies that came out that year and we did see a few in the theater, but not as many as we saw even like typically. Sure. So I don't know, maybe we're going to the movies the last week. My dad wasn't feeling well. Um, and no I just, wonder you don't have a lot of love for Snap. Snap. <laughs> well, I remember, so Snap, I have some recollection too, because it was playing at a lot of junior high dances, especially yeah. in sixth grade. Yep. But sixth grade didn't have any friends. Yeah. And, and I remember, so like, I, I was like, I was the kind of guy, like I had maybe a couple friends and I would maybe hang out with them during the dance and like, I'd be afraid to ask a girl. Like, yeah, you know, I was kind of like, I was just, I wasn't popular and it was just, it sucked. Seventh grade is when I became, I finally got some friends. But right. The sixth grade school dances, so like one. when, the you know the peak snap time <laughs> is me like yeah. on a bleacher with like two you know maybe if I'm lucky a guy or two like hanging out with me or just like talking about you know the the Red Sox making the playoffs or something you know it was it was not not a, not a great time and uh, yeah probably one of the yeah one of the the like the loneliest times I had in New Hampshire yeah or my whole life was probably right around this time not lonely anymore my friend no no I'm not not anymore well now I'm forty so but no but <laughs> this yeah this this might be like the loneliest summer of my life yeah so. Two thumbs down for summer of 1990. All right, fuck 90. Yeah. Um, shall we move on to headlines? We should. Phil Mickelson won the U.S. Amateur Golf Championship in 1990. The amateur. Old oh, lefty. Oh, then he's young lefty. Yeah, he was young lefty. That's right. I don't know. He was something lefty. He wasn't old lefty. He was like, he like. Well, amateur, sub- he was that's probably what that might have put him on the map a little bit. It probably did, yeah. I just can't remember his nickname. I don't remember, um, you know, when he had his rise. I remember, I remember, I, I mean, I remember when he wasn't the, best golf in the world, but I, you know. Well, he had right, kind of rivalry with uh, Woods. Right. It's kind of like you had Woods but, fans. But and first Mickelson it was fans. Woods and Duvall. David oh, that's Duvall. right. Yeah, that's so right. So it was before Mickelson was really in the picture. Mickelson yeah. like, just, just got better and better at his craft, I guess. Yeah, must have. Um, while, meanwhile, Nick Faldo wins his second British Open Championship. I saw that, yeah. Nick, yeah. Nick Faldo. Second know. of third. Or second of three. He won one more, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he was at, this was St. Andrews was the golf course. Now he's an announcer. I'm not a big golf guy. It, is he really? He yeah, does, see, yeah he I'm does, not. A, he does a lot of the. I like. I enjoy golf. I like to play, but I, you know, I watching it is just not my thing. You don't like watching golf, huh? I don't. I I, I, I like watching the majors. It's very relaxing. Throw it on, especially like the Sundays. Like the last day of the majors is really fun. Like I think I fall asleep. It. It's kind of soothing. I enjoy it. Now on the 18th green. <laughs> All of our golf fans are gonna be very sad. You're throwing shade at golf. I'm not. No, it's watching golf that I throw shade. I think the. I think the sport. I think it's one of the hardest. Uh, sports you could ever do a little that little ball all the way into that little cup, you know, five hundred yards away. That's crazy. That is crazy. It's tough. It's, it's and you have to have amazing technique to hit that hit the ball well. Yes, you really do it. That's amazing uh, hand eye coordination. I I think it's ex- extremely tough to do. Okay. Yeah. All right. Did I feel better? I pulled back a little bit with, <laughs> with the anti golf sh- talk. Sh- should have should have maybe dialed it in more anti golf. <laughs> yeah. Next time. Um. Meanwhile, Greg Lamond wins his third Tour de France. 
Yeah, he was the big guy before uh, Lance Armstrong. That's right. Yeah. Um, this guy was, yeah, I remember, I remember this ha- like sort of happening. I remember talking about this in like my French class in like sixth and seventh this grade. This is a big mom- deal. I used to get like Sports Illustrated and I also got yeah. Sports, Sports Illustrated for kids. Yep, me which too. come out. And uh, he was in the cover. I feel like he was in the cover of Sports Illustrated for kids like every other <laughs> month. It was Greg Lamond on a yeah. bike. Uh, but yeah, Tour de France. There you go, Greg Lamond. Meanwhile, uh, George Brett hits for the cycle. Now, I wanted to ask you, do you care about the cycle? I do because it's you one of the- do. So here's why. So I, I've been very blessed as a sports fan. I've seen two no-hitters in person. Mm. I've seen a World Series. Uh, I've seen an All-Star game. You know, I've seen a World, I've seen like a World Series winner, like someone won a World Series. Yeah. Uh, I've been to an All-Star game. I've seen uh, Tony Green get 3,000 hit. I've seen a lot of really cool things yeah, in yeah. person. Yeah. I've been, I, I, I used to go to a lot more baseball games. I've been to about, I don't know, like, I think I, I kept track of like 270 baseball games. Jesus I, Christ. I, yeah. I've, I've probably been to dozens, but there's no way I'm anywhere near been that. Been to a ton of games. And the only thing that I haven't seen that I wanted, I guess I've never seen a perfect game, but that's fine. I'm not, that's yeah, so yeah. rare. But I saw two no hitters, so I'm okay. The only thing I've never really seen is, is a cycle. And it's kind of driven me crazy because it's like, mm. it's like, it's it's not as rare as some of these other things. I should, sure. in theory, see it. I went to one game. It was um, uh, Braves Red Sox. Uh, this was 06, I believe. Uh, I think it was, uh, it was Kelly Johnson was a Braves player. Yeah. He got a single. Uh, he got a uh, a triple and a homer by like the fifth oh, inning. Oh, jeez. And you I'm gotta like, think. I'm like, like here we go. It's yeah, on. Right. It, but it's a blow. It's like 16 to four game. Um, this guy like Devern Hansacking pitched the Red Sox. It's, it's this guy, the complete like, you know, loser. Scrub. I don't remember him at it was all. A, it was awful. It was a rainy day. The only reason, so I'm like, I, but I didn't want to leave. It was a rainy, I didn't want to leave because I want to see a cycle. Yeah, of course. Hits a gapper. Last time up, eighth inning. Hits, hits, a, hits a gapper, or ninth inning even, because it, it was Atlanta. It was, so yeah, he was top of the ninth. Hits a gapper between like the center and the left fielder. Yeah, double because it's like sixteen to four game. He stops it first. No, I was like, are you fucking Take kidding? Take the cycle. Closest I've ever been. <laughs> I've, ne- I've never been been that close since. But yeah, Kelly Johnson. You go look that game. I, I'm doing it by memory, but yeah, uh, Kelly Johnson game. That was the closest I've ever been at. And I mean, I would go to all those games at City Field, and I'm like, I, you know, I'm just trying to see a cycle and. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's a bullshit thing. I mean, it's complete fluky. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, but so is everything. Like, what's not? Not I, really. Uh, not well. Some stuff. I don't know. A no hitter or perfect game. That, there is some that's fluky stuff. Cool. Yeah, but it's that's pretty fucking badass. Go I, I, I'd outs. love to see. I, I would really love to see a guy get a cycle just so I could say I saw you it. Saw and it then check that box. It'd be like your cycle will be complete. It then, would be right. Yes. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Roseanne Barr sings the national anthem. That is an iconic moment. Or when she grabs her crotch. I know that, that time the one in San Diego. Is I, that, no, that's that, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, I forgot she grabbed her crotch. I remember her saying extremely poor. Yes, she grabbed her crotch. I think it spit. Yeah, and she's she trying to be funny like right. a baseball player. And she got just, completely destroyed. She for did. That. The media yeah. really went after her. Uh, and at the time, that. I think I was a little bit like "fuck you" for doing. But at this, but now I'm kind of like mm, that's kind of funny and interesting. Uh, I'm not a big. I mean, I'm not a big fan of like trash in the national anthem i i just like is that what we're going after like well, yeah, there other villains but it's still no one after? really no one really does. it's still kind of a i mean, I mean it's I a risky now move. we have we have guys like neil i think kneeling is very different than what she, she was trying oh, to be different. funny yeah she was, trying, she to was trying to be a baseball like if, yeah. you, if you look at it just like if we it's like dial because it was right it was a hundred it was sheer outrage yeah absolutely this was like, a, like right it was very people were going insane about this and it's yeah. like all right well, let's take a step back from that a little bit on the second hand she probably should have known better to do that yeah but it's still like if you think about it in terms of a comedian taking a chance, like that, that's a that's a pretty risky ball to move. Do you know why she did? Uh, it was in San Diego. Oh, tell me, you know. So Tom Warner, who uh, owned the Padres at the time, also yeah. produced her television show. That's why it was Roseanne. in San Diego. Tom Warner, of, cur- of course, also uh, 
uh, produced the Cosby show. Oh yeah, he did. And uh, uh, serial rapist, one and, of the worst ever. And you could question if he has, you know, what, what he knew, what he doesn't know. And then he also, um, uh, is, is still uh, one of the, a part of the ownership group of the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, so fuck that guy. Uh, and the last thing is General Hospital taped its 7,000th episode. Can you imagine a fucking television show going 7,000 oh, And how many more are they? I mean, General Hospital still probably, there, right? Probably twice. Probably, the, no, I don't, I'm not sure if soap operas are really happening 10, anymore. They, oh, they, yeah, they definitely did. But I th- aren't soap operas kind of the way of the past? Oh, now? they are. I mean, you think about what soap operas were. I mean, A, you had four networks you know, yeah, at their peak. Yeah, right. You know, you had a lot of women at home, nothing to do. You know, yeah. you know, they, you know, their kids are in school, you know, and, and just this, that once the, that generation died out, so right. soap operas. Um, and you watch them now, they, they feel weird. It's straight. They, they, it's like, it feels Very like watching weird. a relic. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, you know, before us, you know, the seventies and sixties, especially soap operas were huge. Plus there's a way for these advertisers to sell products directly to women. That's right. Um, uh, you know, soap opera ad rates at its time were, were astronomical. There have to be some actors or actresses who have, who were like in every single episode of, uh, there's of some of that are in like a lot. Can you imagine? I just like a Susan Lucci type. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think she did 35 years or something or 40 something years crazy. on all I mean, my children or something. But you think about it, like, you know, that's crazy. A lot of these were, my dad worked on some soap operas. Oh, uh, really? Doing sets and stuff. This is during that time I talked about after the music hall. Yeah, yeah. Before he got the Broadway, Me and My Girl, which is yep. the Broadway show he did. In that time, he was doing just kind of like a Broadway, like the one I talked about uh, where the little boy yeah. was the lead. And yep. so that show closes. Well, the show might not open for a couple months. What? Oh, let's, we can put him in. Um, he can go work at All My Children, which I think was the one he worked at. He can do that. He built some sets for a couple weeks. Yep. He did some stuff at Met- Metropolitan Opera House just kind of to fill in some gaps. Um, they didn't need an extra hand until the next show opens. So right. he did some stuff in the soap operas. It was cool because they shoot these. They're great. They're great jobs. They'll shoot them like a bunch of episodes like in a day or in like a week. And then they're loaded up for like months. You have all this time off. Oh. Um, they, 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 the way they're shot, it's very uh, preferable for actors and the staff. That's why people don't need them because they're great yeah. jobs. Plus they're steady paychecks. At least in that time, General Hospital wasn't going anywhere. Right. You have a job until they kill you off. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you're and not- you'll know. You'll know because you'll be on for months and months and months. You'll know like- that's the cool thing. You'd have your face out there forever. So even if you do get killed, killed up, right. you'll know way beforehand so you can find another job and while you're still relevant. Exactly. That's cool. These shows are so po- like, yeah. are, are made for such a, a wide gap, right? Yeah. That, and same thing with like a Wheel of Fortune. and Right, um, Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Yeah, they, same thing. They shoot like five of these episodes in a day. Yeah. And then what happens is then, you know, they have them loaded up for like months. Yeah. And think about what like, Alex Rebecca works, you know, I guess relatively hard for a few weeks and then gets like months off. It's like <laughs> yeah. the dream job. It is a pretty cool. And it's, like, that's why these guys, Pat J. Jack, Vanna White, Alex Stay Rebecca, there and forever. a lot of these soap they yeah. never leave because these are unbelievable jobs to have. And, um, and that's what happens with these soap, these soap people. I still think it's, it's kind of like the Iron Man challenge where you're, you're there, you know, if you do 10,000 episodes, I, I think that's a pretty cool feat. It's great. And what yeah. a great, you know, that actor who is probably a Broadway actor who is probably hoping to get a job, you know, hopefully to catch up with a show that might yeah. be on Broadway for six, seven months, gets a job for 30 years. I know. That is an easier and a more fun situation than Broadway shows can be tough. You're doing two shows on when, uh, two shows uh, uh, on Saturdays. Sometimes yeah. you like what, two on Wednesdays have like Mondays. And they're night Mondays shows, dark. so it's a hard, So you only get one hard. day a week off. Right. It's a much harder lifestyle Way harder. than a soap opera. Like, so you get a better job for more <laughs> uh, like stability. Right. Like you can, that's exactly why these guys never leave. That's funny. You know, Alec Baldwin was on one, right? Uh, and he oh. left. Um, Kelly Ripa. She yeah, left. right. Yep. But these people, you know, that's a big, so when they left, that's a, taking a big swing. You better, you, your agent, you better hope your agent's landing you in a good spot because you're leaving a job that could be a paycheck for 30 years. Right. 
could yeah could earn you millions over the course. Soap opera stuff's really fascinating. Like I don't find soap opera fascinating, but I find the business of them to be pretty interesting. Kind of how they structured it, and unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, I think they're terrible. So I think yeah. fortunately they're going to be gone. But it's funny to think that in fifty years, like the word soap opera will mean as much as the word milkman or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's it for headlines. That uh, we should for me. talk about what we're going to do next week. What are we doing next week? I can tell you, we are uh, we are going. To 1996. Yeah, that's right. Um, and let me tell you. So here are the movies we're covering. Okay. We're going to January 1996. Yep. Um, I was less lonely then, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> I had friends then. Uh, so here are the movies we are we are covering. Um, for the YouTube show, we're going to cover Mr. Holland's Opus. I have feelings. And um, for the uh, for the, the podcast, we're going to do From Dust Till Dawn. And 12 Monkeys. I have feelings of both of those, too. Okay, good. You have feelings. That's, <laughs> that's good. Uh, but so, yeah. So, those are three movies that I think aren't blockbusters. Uh, Mr. Holland's Open, you can make a case. Yeah, yeah. But all three are interesting. And a great example of, like, why 90s cinema is so is so exciting to me. And is, interesting. Like, yep. This wild variance. Like, totally different. You know, number one movie is From Dusk Till Dawn, which is, like, a vampire, vampire movie. movie. Number two is, this, like, Mr. Holland's Opus, which is, like, some teacher Musical drama. Teacher. Yeah. And number three is this bizarre Terry Gilliam science fiction movie, 12 yeah. Monkeys. So, like, that was that just shows you how, like, what a wide range of we stuff. We don't get that anymore. We do we not, do get, not get it. So the cool yeah. is, at least for this podcast, we're able to do that. So if you haven't seen this movie, check them out by next week so we can talk about them. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.